Acts chapter 4. The chief priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So reads God's word. Well, good morning, whether you're here in the King Center or joining us via the the live stream as we uh, continue our autumn series in the book of Acts, which has uh, so far has begun to live up to the title of the sermon series, which is Unstoppable. The book of Acts has, uh, to this point, has taken on somewhat of a triumphant tone if we begin to review what we have heard up to this point. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And the promised Holy Spirit has descended and come in power. And as a result, the apostles' fear has been transformed into a bold gospel proclamation about King Jesus. Thousands of people have responded in repentance and faith, changing their mind about the risen King Jesus and putting their faith in him. And just last week, we saw the healing of a man who from birth and for over 40 years had been unable to walk. And how? In the name of Jesus, by his power. And so Peter continued to go on to boldly point the people to repent and turn to Jesus. And so Acts chapter, chapters 1 through 3 has all the appearances of the gospel being unstoppable. But then chapter 4. And in our passage today, that triumphal wave encounters its first opposition and resistance. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 with me. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, this scene reminds me of a saying that probably you would not expect to hear in church anytime, because at one point, this man bit another man's ear off, just to preview this. But the great fighter Mike Tyson once said this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Then, like a rat, They stop in fear and freeze. And in many ways, I think this was the intent of the actions taken in opposition to what Peter and John were proclaiming about Jesus. Not only did did this threaten the, the Sadducees' own position and rank, but the content of the gospel message itself was offensive to them. And the Sadducees, as we'll see, the rest of the Sanhedrin, wanted the leaders of this new movement, they wanted Peter and John to stop and freeze in fear, to cease and desist proclaiming the message of Jesus. This may be the first opposition we encounter in the book of Acts, but we know from history and from experience that it certainly wasn't the last to occur. Jesus' followers individually and corporately have regularly encountered attempts to oppose the gospel message. At times, that opposition has been well organized um, and intense, even violently so in history. And other times, it has been more a matter of social or even professional pressure. But knowing we live in a world where the gospel message and its messengers will face opposition we should follow the example of the first followers of Jesus ourselves when facing opposition 
to the gospel message of King Jesus? And how should their response in Acts chapter 4 shape our actions today? Before we consider the rest of Acts chapter 4, would you just pray with me and ask the Lord's help in this? Father, we pray that your spirit would be our guide this morning, that you would open up our eyes to the majesty of King Jesus, his authority, and his power. And Lord, would you help us see in the actions of Peter and John and your first followers principles, guiding principles, patterns that we should take into account today as those who continue that legacy as your followers now until you come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, how should we respond or how should their response shape our response today? The first thing is this, is that we should be clear as they were in what we proclaim about King Jesus. We should be clear in what we proclaim about King Jesus. When questioned about the power and authority behind their actions, Peter and John were unequivocally clear. Now the Sadducees were clearly pursuing an agenda of their own. It says the Sadducees, the day after, the Sadducees had Peter and John arrested and then two of them were brought before the Sanhedrin for questioning. And one question was central in the Sadducees' minds as they interrogated them. It says they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, if this situation seems familiar to you as a reader of Scripture, it should. Because remember what transpired between these leaders and Jesus himself regarding his teaching. In the other book that Dr. Luke wrote, Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 2, in response to Jesus' teaching, this same group of leaders questioned him, saying, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. They said, who gave you this authority? Now, on the surface, both instances would appear to be just a desire for understanding, but it is much more likely that there was an attempt to intimidate Jesus and now his followers, Peter and John. After all, they had questioned Jesus the same way and in the end successfully pursued his execution. And so for Peter and John in this moment, these were not men to be taken lightly, nor were their threats to be ignored. And how would they respond? Well, Peter and John respond to the Sadducees' clear agenda with a clarity of their own. Peter clearly answers the question that was put before him and note with a bit of sarcasm, at least that's how I read it. It says in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, if we're being called to, uh, to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now his answer makes several points. Clearly, this is about a miraculous healing that had took place. And that healing was clearly done by the name of King Jesus. And clearly, this is the same Jesus that you have crucified, but God has raised. And Psalm 118 is used by Peter to drive home the fact that these leaders had rejected King Jesus, God's chosen king. Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm of anticipation. They had rejected the very one God had sent, the authority behind the miracle that had been witnessed. So Peter answers their question, but however, Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on to make clear one more assertion in light of all of this. 
Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The miracle of the lame beggar's healing pointed to the power and authority of Jesus to effect a greater healing. The only way for our sins to be forgiven. And again, there is a bit of... um, This isn't a term I learned in seminary, but scriptural deja vu in this moment here. There's a repetition that occurs from Luke's gospel in chapter 5. When, if you remember, this is the scene where some friends had brought a lame person to Jesus and couldn't get into him, so they lowered him through the roof. And as they did so, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And those who were there took offense at this. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, it says this, The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had had been lying on, and went home praising God. The repeated miracle of healing in Acts chapter 4 makes clear Jesus' divinity. And therefore, his sole authority to forgive sin. Remember, they asked correctly, who can forgive sins but God alone? Little did they know the God-man was standing right in front of them. And by virtue of Peter's clarity in the face of their pressure, the members of the Sanhedrin have now found the spotlight turned on them. And in so doing, it has given them an opportunity. If they see it properly. And sometimes we don't see things properly, do we? I want to put a picture up in front of you, and I wonder what you see with this picture. I remember the first time I saw this, I was probably about 20 years old in university. And I wonder how many of you, we could just do a quick unscientific poll, how many see a duck or a a gull? How many of you see a rabbit? Yeah, if you you maybe tilt your head or you you can come back to this later, I don't know. But it depends on what you see by the angle that you take on it. And having clarity on what we see, particularly when it comes to Jesus, can have massive consequences. And seeing him for who he is, that they missed, the God-man, who was crucified, buried, and now risen again, presents each of us with the opportunity to have the guilt of our sin taken away through faith in Jesus. Peter and John could have been tempted to be vague or evasive about the gospel. What do you see? Do you see a duck? (laughs) Do you see a rabbit? They could have been vague or evasive in the face of opposition, but they spoke with clarity about King Jesus as the sole source of salvation. So when we encounter opposition to the gospel message ourselves, we should follow their example, first of all, by being clear in what we proclaim about Jesus. That clearly there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. Therefore, we must be clear. And furthermore, as Danny introduced earlier, we can be courageous 
We can be courageous in proclaiming that message. Verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, there are two remarkable things to take note of in the narrative at this point. And that is that the Sanhedrin was astonished at the courage of John and Peter because being they were unschooled. Now, being unschooled simply means that Peter and John had not undergone formal training within the rabbinical model. They had not been formally theologically trained, you might say. But Peter and John would have been quite literate and familiar with the, the content of the Old Testament. But they were ordinary fishermen. They were not expected by expectations of the day to have been able to keep pace with the Sanhedrin, who are the theological authorities, and that underneath their questioning, they should not have held up. But it was their association and connection with Jesus that had transformed them, ordinary, unschooled men, into courageous and capable messengers of the gospel. And it should not have surprised them, it should not surprise us, because again in Luke's gospel, chapter 21, Jesus had promised that you will be seized, you will be persecuted, you will be brought before governors and rulers and hauled into synagogues. And he says, don't worry what you'll say in those moments, for he says, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. The second thing, the first that is remarkable is their astonishment, but also is the Sanhedrin being in denial of the evidence standing before their very eyes. Verse 14, it says, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, just a little minor detail there, right? <laughs> the man was standing there with them, and there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together, what are we going to do with these men? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. What would it take for them to open their minds and hearts to Jesus? The reality of the resurrection of Jesus was powerfully on display before their very eyes in the form of this no longer lame beggar. The scripture tells us they admitted they couldn't deny the miracle nor the unexpected effectiveness of Peter and John as messengers of the gospel. But still they refused to submit to Jesus. The power and the authority behind it all. But their resistance reminds us not to base our courage in the receptivity of those who hear the gospel message. People have and will continue to oppose King Jesus even when faced with compelling evidence and testimony. Why? Because ultimately King Jesus' rule threatens their rule. This is what is at the heart of our problem. What we, we even teach our children here. What do we say? It's at the heart of sin. Shove off God, right? I'm in charge. No to your rule. That is at the heart of, of sin. That is at the heart of our problem. And there is no other name other than Jesus, the God-man, the crucified one, the risen king, who is able to remedy it. And so their confidence 
comes from him and their connection with him. And their confidence in Jesus compelled them not to yield to the pressure put on them to keep quiet about Jesus. It says they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John were two ordinary men who exhibited extraordinary courage. Why? Because of their connection and association with King Jesus. And like them, we should be clear in what we proclaim about King Jesus and we can be courageous in moments when we encounter opposition ourselves to the gospel message. And we need to because there is no other name given under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. And so since that is the case, we must be committed to the gospel message continuing to go forward powerfully. We need to be committed to that ourselves. We see this kind of commitment in the prayer of all the believers upon Peter and John's release. Look at verse 21 where it says, After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The Sanhedrin was confounded by what had happened. Peter and John, ordinary fishermen, unschooled, would not succumb to their threats. The people saw the healing of the lame beggar who was over 40 years old for what it was. A miracle for which they praised God. And as a result, the apostles were released with a warning. And this is the standard operating procedure of the day. The theological authorities would bring in the ordinary unschooled men, school them in what they should know, send them out with a warning and say, don't do this any longer, or next time there'll be more teeth to their threats. When Peter and John returned and related everything to their people, they all cried out in prayer. And the first part of what they prayed recognized that the opposition to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, and now his people was something that the Old Testament had foreseen. Psalm 2 is what is quoted here when it says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they obviously saw what had been transpiring uh, with the actions of the Sanhedrin in light of that. They say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the, the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, in light of all of this, all that had happened to them, how would we maybe expect somebody to pray? We probably wouldn't have blamed them if they prayed for protection or if they prayed for the removal of the threat and the opposition. But instead their prayer continues and demonstrates a compelling commitment that they would speak the message of Christ with boldness. Verse 29, now Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were committed to the gospel message continuing to go forward powerfully. I remember years ago as a young man in my teens, when I first started to become serious about following Jesus, this portion of a pastor's, as a martyr from Zimbabwe, an African pastor, was shared with me. And I feel like it's, it's relevant for where this is today. It's entitled different things, but I've, I've heard it entitled The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Perhaps you've heard it, but I'll read it to you now. I, I am part of a fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his and I won't look back. Lit up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, or first, or tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or lit up until I have stayed up stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. As we've gone through Acts chapter 4 and seen the first opposition to the gospel come. I want to finish with good news. The good news is this, that opposition, no matter how fierce, cannot stop the good news of Jesus Christ from moving forward in this world. It is unstoppable because he is. Jesus promised that this would be the case Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We see this continue in the face of opposition that we just read today. I didn't note these verses earlier, but verse 5, it said this, 
right after they had been arrested and taken into custody, chapter 4, verse 5 tells us this, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And after they had prayed in verse 31, we are told that the message continued to go out in boldness. You see, whether it was, seemed like an unstoppable wave and everything was going well, or whether opposition came, the gospel was unstoppable. It continues throughout the book of Acts as we go forward now from this point. Opposition cannot stop what God is doing through his people. It continues in Acts. It continues throughout history and will continue until Jesus comes back. And so when we face opposition, and we will in different forms and at different times, we should follow the example of the first followers of Jesus when facing opposition to the gospel message of King Jesus. We should be clear about who he is and proclaiming him. We can be courageous as we proclaim that, not because we are anything amazing in and of ourselves, we're all quite ordinary, but because we have the privilege of being his people. And we should be committed to seeing that continuing to go forward in power because the truth this day is that there is no other name given under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we have been reminded that there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. We pray that even now you would open hearts and minds to the message of the gospel of forgiveness of sins through Jesus the King. When, we, when there is opposition, and we know there will be, would you help us as your people to be guided by the actions of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4? Oh Lord, help us to be clear in what we proclaim about Jesus. Give us courage based not in how people respond but in our association with you, our King. And may our hearts be committed to the message of the gospel, continuing to go out in power until you return for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to um, have a song, O Church, Arise. And I would ask you to rise as the music begins. If you're at home and you want to sing along as the music begins, please do so.